Hello, I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and you're listening to The West Walk. The United States is the latest country to tighten travel rules in an effort to try to slow the spread of the Omicron variant. All air passengers to the U.S., including Canadians, must now show a negative COVID test that was taken within one day of their departure. It's just another change after Ottawa announced a number of new travel and testing rules last week. Joining me now to talk about this is Transport Minister Omar Algabra. Thank you so much for joining us, Minister. Nice to have you in the studio. First interview with us in person. And there's a lot of questions. Mercedes, so. it's good to be with you in studio. <laughs> I'm also uh, really uh, grateful for the opportunity to speak with you and your viewers. So the first thing I think that... I want to know and a lot of people out there want to know is what exactly are the new rules? Can you walk us through them? Sure. So, you know, uh, Canadians know that this is we're still in a pandemic and the situation continues to evolve. And this with the emergence of this new variant where we're still waiting to hear more information about it, uh, uh, our government decided to act swiftly to mitigate the risk of further importation of this variant. And what we've done is we've, uh, based on the advice that we received from Public Health uh, Agency of Canada and our experts, is that we've identified 10 countries uh, where uh, there's significant, there's reports of significant community transmission of the variant. And we put them on a list where we were asked Canadians to get a PCR test on their way back home uh, from another country. Plus, we barred any foreign national who's been to any of these 10 countries uh, over the last 14 days from entering Canada. Those measures, and now we're testing upon arrival everybody who comes from anybody in the world other than the US. Those measures are temporary uh, for, for us to learn more about this variant, to learn more about its severity, and we will continually adjust based on the advice and the information that we get. When are those tests upon arrival for people coming off of international flights going to kick in? Because airports were saying late last week they had no information about this. It sounded like it was immediate, but Health Canada wasn't in the airports. When can people expect that those tests are going to be administered? Uh, the, the tests are being administered as we speak, uh, Mercedes. Um, at, at all the airports in Canada? Uh, at all airports, uh, uh, especially the major airports where most of the international flights arrive. Uh, we've already, by the way, had... an continue to have agents of, from Public Health Agency of Canada and CBSA who have been administering tests uh, under a random mandatory test regime. What we are doing now, we're ramping up those mandatory testing until we reach 100%. So we are on our way to get to 100%, but those tests are occurring as we speak. With those mandatory tests, where are they being administered? Because airports are saying, we don't have the capacity to cram a bunch of people into a room. Are you giving them to people to take home and then they have to isolate? How does that work? As we speak, the majority of tests are being done uh, at the airports uh, by, as I said, swapped by our officials and representatives of Public Health Agency of Canada. Uh, however, we are going to, based on the volume, uh, will adjust. Some passengers may take, take home tests, but for now, uh, our officials on the ground at the airports are administering these tests. The rules right now are that you have to be tested if you're coming from an international destination other than the United States. Why did you not apply this to Americans or Canadians or anyone else coming out of the U.S.? First of all, let's be clear. We have measures uh, for travelers who are coming from the U.S. But there's, different measures. There's, there's, there are requirements of pre-departure testing. 
uh, PCR testing. Uh, there's a requirement for vaccination that for U.S. travelers to be fully vaccinated, and they are uh, could they could be subjected to the random mandatory testing. So currently today we have 20,000 tests a day at our borders, both land borders and airport uh, borders upon entry. Uh, the reason why the U.S. has not been subjected to these additional measures yet, however, we're ready and we're preparing in case we need to change that, is because we, we have no significant reporting of transmission of this new variant in the U.S. But aren't you afraid that people might just try to go to the U.S. then come to Canada so they can avoid the quarantine? I mean, that's that's a pretty logical workaround, and it seems like a bit of a hole. So for anybody who's been in any other country, they're, they're expected, they're required to declare where they're coming from. And based on the country they're coming from, those uh, measures will be applied to them. And, and is there any truth to the concern that this was actually, there's not enough testing capacity, and therefore it was seen that uh, dealing with Americans and American flights would just overwhelm the system versus that there's no chance Omicron is going to become significant in the United States? Look, uh, uh, as I said, the reports, there are very little reports of community transmission in the United States. If that changes, we will change our measures. We have capacity for testing. We're ramping it up. There's no doubt that this will stretch our, our capacity that exists today. But we have been acting swiftly, fast. Our, uh, I want to give a shout out to our officials at Public Health Agency of Canada, who's really been adjusting uh, their measures as quickly as possible, because our priority is to protect the health and safety of Canadians, but also to protect our economy. We don't want to go back to lockdown days, uh, uh, and we want to make sure that we do our best to protect Canadians at the borders. You're bringing back quarantine hotels. Walk me through who has to be in a quarantine hotel versus who can go home and isolate if they have a home and actually live in Canada. So anybody who, ha a Canadian or a permanent resident who's eligible to enter Canada has been to any of those 10 countries over the last 14 days uh, are subjected to a mandatory test upon arrival, then they are expected to stay at a, at, a, at a designated facilities, including hotels, for quarantine until their test results are out. Once a negative test result are out, within a day or so, they will be able to finish their quarantine at a safe place at their home. This one I've gotten a ton of questions on, and I don't know the answer, so I'm looking forward to hearing it from you. When you say upon arrival, what does that mean for people who have a connection in Canada? Say you're flying back from Rome and you land in Montreal, but your final destination is Vancouver. Where are you tested and where do you quarantine? Sure. So uh, if you are coming from any of those 10 countries, you are tested upon arrival wherever you arrive and you're expected to stay at a hotel wherever you arrive. However, if you're arriving from anywhere else in the world, from Rome, for example, you will be tested if you land in Toronto, and then you'll be allowed to go to Vancouver and quarantine at home for a day or two until your test results are out. So if you're a Canadian, you can still go to your final destination. You're just tested on arrival, but you can get on a plane before that test clears you. Yes, as long as you're doubly vaccinated and as long as you're not coming from any of those 10 countries. 
when it comes to land borders, you don't have the same measures in place. For Canadians who are coming in or Americans who might be coming up for the holidays, what are the rules for travellers who are going to be driving into Canada? Yeah, the same rules apply uh, for whoever is coming from the U.S. at land borders or airports. So a requirement for a PCR test prior to arriving to the land border, a negative test, and then uh, of, to be fully vaccinated and you might be subjected to a random mandatory test upon arrival at the border. Why not require everyone coming across the border to take one of those tests? So as I said, right now, we're basing our decisions on, on the experts' advice that we get based on the information they have. And to date, there hasn't been reports of community transmission of this variant in, uh, variant in the U.S. So if that changes, we are preparing to adjust our measures, including testing everyone at the land border if we need to. The U.S. says that in order to enter America, you have to have a negative test not 72 hours before, but the day before. Are you looking at changing that to require a shorter time window for a negative test before somebody can enter Canada? We'll always be ready to adjust our measures. This is a, 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 there's a time of, uh, of a pandemic where we have to adjust. However, we feel the layers of protections that we have are quite uh, solid. So again, the PCR test prior to the arrival uh, arrival to the border. But, By the but, way, what, the, but what's the science there between why do the Americans have a day and we have three days? It seems like a big difference. Well, it's not the first time that we have some asymmetry uh, between us and the United States. Uh, we still require fully vaccinated. We only allow uh, U.S. travelers who are fully vaccinated into Canada. And we have random mandatory testing at the border. The U.S. doesn't have mandatory testing at their own borders. So we have, because we have several layers of protection, we feel that the system together, the regime together, offers a really good protection for Canadians. There's been a lot of criticism of how your government has rolled this out. Everyone from the airlines to the airports to travelers who say it's just been mass confusion. There's not clarity. Why weren't you better prepared for another variant that could trigger this? Because it seems at this point in the pandemic, like more variants are a pretty predictable outcome. Yeah. Mercedes, we, we, were, we are prepared. We were prepared. And, and the proof to that is the fact, the proof to that point is the fact that we acted so quickly uh, a day after the discovery of the variant. But it was pretty confusing. Uh, Canadians know how fast-paced the environment that we're in today. They know how there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of moving parts. Uh, it's a pandemic. Uh, circumstances change quickly. And they look to their government to act swiftly and quickly to do whatever they can to protect Canadians. I understand that others will have questions about these new measures and, like you did, clarify what do we need to do and how we need to do it. They need to know that their governments acted quickly and, and convincingly to protect their health and safety. No doubt there's still uncertainty in the air, and I wish we didn't have it. However, we're in a pandemic, and their government, Canadians' government, is acting very fast and swiftly to protect their health and safety. Minister, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. The WHO says the new COVID variant, Omicron, is likely to spread and poses a very high global risk. That's led countries like Canada to change air travel testing rules and to step up vaccination efforts. To answer some of your questions about this new variant, I'm joined by Dr. Zane Shagla. He's an infectious diseases physician at St. Joseph's Healthcare in Hamilton. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, nobody 
wanted to have to talk about yet another variant, but this seems to be part of COVID now that we can expect more. What do we know about Omicron? Yeah, so from the molecular part, so the, the structure of this virus, we see a significant number of mutations and, you know, more than we've ever seen. We talk about, you know, alpha, beta, gamma, delta, the prior variants, there are five to 10 mutations, some with a little bit more transmissibility, some with a little bit more immune escape. Uh, and, you know, with Omicron, we're seeing over 30. And some of these have not been seen in a variant before. So that's number one, that's the problem. But number two is what's happening in the, the part of the world it was first being described, not where it originated, but where it was first being described in the region outside Johannesburg in South Africa, where they've seen growth that is, you know, incredible compared to other waves where, you know, a population where there was 70 to 80 percent immunity through natural infection, where there was 30 percent immunity through vaccination, you're seeing today 16,000 cases compared to a few hundred cases only a couple of weeks ago. So it certainly seems like it's spreading faster. What do we know about the way that it makes people sick and whether it is uh, more or less aggressive than previous variants? Yeah, I mean, that's the big question. And there's a lot of confounding here. Part of it is the fact that, you know, it is spreading in a population that is uh, had a lot of natural immunity and some that's had vaccine-derived immunity, some of the initial reports are people are coming in relatively mild, which is good considering the number of people it's been infecting. That being said, hospitalizations in that region of the world are increasing significantly and we increasing week on week. They may not be as profound as prior waves, um, but there certainly is a, a healthcare demand that's being seen across all age groups, particularly those who are unvaccinated. There is also some evidence that people who have had prior infection, not vaccinated, but prior infection, are at higher risk of being reinfected by this variant as compared to anything else in the past. Wow, that's really interesting. And there's so many questions I know still that they're studying it and trying to look at it and we're watching science unfold in real time. One of the big debates we've seen politically, and people use science on both sides of it, is travel bans. Uh, the government was slow to implement them in previous waves. They moved very quickly in this one, and now they're taking a lot of criticism from that. Do travel bans work as a way to slow down the entry of the virus? Yeah, I mean, you know, way at the beginning of this in 2020, when we were thinking about travel bans, there was a, you know, the thought that a most of the people that had COVID-19 were symptomatic and they were shedding when they were symptomatic. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, as long as you could screen them and target them, you'd be able to stop the spread of the virus. Well, we learned quickly that there is a large asymptomatic phase and, you know, much of the transmission is actually done by the time symptoms start. And so that really puts a lot of challenges into using particular travel bans because, you know, as long as certain people who are infectious get on your soil, even if they don't have symptoms, they may not, you know, they may start cascades of infection. And, and you know, in 2020, when we looked at what happened in Canada, we thought, you know, China and, and Iran and Italy, which were the hotspots of the world, were where it was going to seed. In fact, most of Canada's seeding was from the United States. And most of the United States seeding was from Europe. And so, you know, again, this is where the countries that know they have a problem, it's easy to put a ban on them, but it's much more dangerous for the countries that don't know they have a problem. We're hearing about community transmission in the United States. We're hearing about community transition, tra community transmission in Europe. 
And so, you know, again, you know, slapping certain countries with travel bans and not banning everyone uh, really doesn't make a lot of sense. Using a mitigation strategy of testing at the airport is probably a long-term solution that makes the most sense considering, again, you could be in the United States or you could be in sub-Saharan Africa and face a, a similar risk depending on what's going on to bring the Omicron variant back to Canada. Hmm. I know a lot of people talk about boosters and, and NASI put out a statement uh, on Friday talking about boosters and when we'll get them. Are boosters a way out of this pandemic? Is that the new way of life like flu shots? People are going to get them every year. And how does that address the global situation if we're continually re-upping our vaccination here, but vaccination isn't happening in places uh, like South Africa or Botswana? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the last point here is probably the most important, right? You know, the, the, this is not, this is going to be a global problem until we have global solutions. The World Health Organization is trying to organize a pandemic treaty such that countries don't act alone and act in, in a global context. And we're seeing, you know, as long as we're connected to each other via travel, we're going to be connected to each other via variants one way or another. And so we're not safe until everyone is safe. You know, there is some data for boosters. I'm not going to say there isn't. There is data that's come out of Israel. There's some randomized clinical trials that do show boosters may reduce symptomatic disease in, in some individuals and, and going from some 70% protection back to 95% protection. Uh, in severe cases, you know, particularly those over the age of 70, there may be a reduction in people ending up in hospital. In younger cases, it's not as clear if that benefit is there, given the risk is so, so low. Uh, and so, you know, there may be some benefits on a population level to giving boosters in, in some populations. But, you know, what is more profound a benefit is still getting first doses into individuals. And, you know, again, you know, getting to zero to 70 to 80 percent protection, getting to zero to 95 percent protection against hospitalization uh, is a larger gap to change than going from 70 to 90 percent protection and 90 to 95 percent from hospitalization. So, you know, it is a strategy. We still have to be very mindful of what supply we take from the world, um, unfortunately or fortunately, because Canada does have a large stockpile that we've uh, conserved over the last few uh, few months. You know, we are largely eroding away at that, which is a, a supply that's very difficult to redeploy elsewhere in the world because of expiry dates. Um, but, you know, similarly, going into the future, we really have to be cognizant of the fact that we can't stockpile this vaccine, that there are many, many buyers that need this vaccine. And a dose that ends up on Canadian soil is a dose that's not ending up elsewhere in the world. Doctor, one last quick question. The role of therapeutics like uh, the, the pills that are given for COVID that Health Canada is looking at, how important are those? Yeah, everyone is looking for more tools. And, and so, you know, we're using monoclonal antibodies currently across the country in, in, in preventing people from ending up in hospital or treating difficult immunocompromised patients. Um, there are going to be these two new drugs, molinipavir and Paxlovid, coming to the market, which will reduce the risk of hospitalization if given to the right patients. They're not an alternative to vaccine. There are many things that can go along, wrong along the way from testing to access to these treatments to recognizing people are symptomatic, and they have to be given early. Uh, but, you know, in, in, in close settings, with access to good testing, with access to good clinicians, they can be a way to mitigate some of the healthcare utilization in the weeks and months to come. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your expertise. No problem. All the best. 
Trade Minister Mary Ng wrapped up a Team Canada-style mission to Washington last week. The visit comes as the new U.S. ambassador to Canada was sworn in by Vice President Kamala Harris. Hi, David L. Cohen. David Cohen steps into the role as Canada and the U.S. face some significant trade challenges. Joining us now to discuss this is Mary Scott Greenwood. She is the CEO of the Canadian American Business Council and a partner with Crestview Strategy. Nice to see you, Scotty. Uh, pretty high-stakes trip down there. How did Canada's ministers do? Uh, well, it's good to see you too, Mercedes. And uh, the trip was incredibly important, and it's part of an ongoing dialogue. It's part of an ongoing process. Uh, it's not like you just come down in the 11th hour in this case, which is which is what this is for President Biden's Build Back Better uh, legislation, and in the 11th hour say, hey, by the way, can you change these three things uh, for us? You've got you've to be present every step of the way, and the good news, um, if there is good news, is even if the uh, electric vehicle tax credit is isn't resolved immediately, there are lots of more opportunities to, uh, to work at it. So this is part of, uh, you know, again, an ongoing process and it needs to continue. What are sort of the biggest concerns here and challenges in terms of the trade relationship? Well, there's a whole host of issues, Mercedes, and some of them are um, tried and true, have been keeping trade lawyers fully employed for generations and generations. And by that, think about softwood lumber. Uh, so that's that's a big one, and it's back. We also have an issue with respect to PEI potatoes. So we've got to deal with that. Separately, you've got electric vehicles, you've got Buy American, and you've got some requirements in what's known as the National Defense Authorization Act, which has to do with U.S. content. So there's no shortage uh, of issues, and that's just from the U.S. side of, of the border. Of course, there are also issues in Canada that the U.S. will have opinions about. Scotty, how do you change the administration's mind about some of these things? I mean, obviously, it plays well in the United States domestically when you say we're going to do Buy American. How do you convince the president not to apply that to Canada or Congress? Well, the conversations are really important, Mercedes, and so the conversations have uh, have been you know, reinitiated with gusto, I would say, starting with right before the North American Leaders Summit and then continuing right through with Minister Ng's visit. Uh, premiers are visiting. Premier Houston of Nova Scotia was here uh, this week, and I think we'll have lots and lots more visits. So the way you uh, the way you talk to the Biden administration is by continued engagement and not just with the White House, as important as that is, and with the cabinet, but also with Congress, also with governors, also with thought leaders. And that seems to be the approach uh, that Canada is now taking once again. Scotty, you mentioned in your first answer that we're kind of doing this at the 11th hour. Why? Why? I guess. Why do you think the Canadian government didn't get into this more quickly and didn't deal with it before it made it to this stage of the game? Well, it's not the first engagement by the government of Canada, uh, but it, but it is um, the first in what I would call a full court press. And you had a little thing called an election up there that uh, that took people's attention uh, for a while. And the other thing is, it's difficult to get into the sausage making in Washington. Um, until you know, until you really know what's being proposed, you don't want to panic too early. Uh, so, so I think I think you know it is a little late, but it's not. Um, it's it's actually never too late when you make policy, right? Because you can always. It's not like this is your only 
chance, uh, ongoing engagement, uh, continuing the conversations, making the case, um, that's, that is what, uh, what is called for here. And that seems to be what the government is, is, is putting its attention towards. Scotty, we, we have a new ambassador in David Cohen from the United States. Does that change anything? Mercedes, it's a big game changer. You've got to have your team captain uh, laced up and skating on the ice. And you ha we have that now for the United States government. Uh, and what a thoughtful, uh, diligent, serious uh, interlocutor uh, David Cohen is. So I think we're quite fortunate uh, that he is in Ottawa. Uh, nothing like arriving in the wintertime to, to, to welcome the <laughs> ambassador to Canada. But uh, it, it does make a big difference. And I'm really glad he's there. Well, good to hear. We'll have someone close to the Biden uh, White House to bend an ear. Scotty Greenwood, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. That's our show for today. For the West Block, I'm Mercedes Stevenson.